Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. Today we have the amazing, I'm so excited, like I really am, I'm really excited to talk about this topic. I've really wanted to talk about it for a while. So I'm going to introduce to you guys the amazing Dr. Lauren Merklin. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I have been listening to your podcast for a while uh, and it is so good. Um, I was telling you before we hopped on that it is, I I listen to podcasts, but usually it's like particular episodes, but yours is one that I listen to everything. (laughs) So I'm so excited to be here because you are doing great work. Oh, good. Yay. Thank you. I try to like build on the episode. So I feel like we're learning and we go down different avenues and, and reconnect with those. And I hope that people are listening to at least the majority of them, because I feel like there's, there's like progress in each one. Yeah, but you can also like hop in at any time because everyone's story is individual and contained. And so that's, it's like, you can listen to the progression, but you can also, you don't have to like start at the beginning, which is really awesome. So I love that. That's a great point too. I have people that like start at the very beginning and that's oftentimes why when I reference things, I'll reference the episode because I know that not everybody listens to it in order and they could be like, wait a second. I never heard that one. Pause, go listen to it. And then come back and be like, okay, now we're on, I'm on the same page. And I understand what they're talking about now. Yeah. Well, so we're going to talk about something today uh, that we've never talked about. I mean, I've mentioned it briefly, but I put out a call to action and I said, I'd never talked about it. And you hit me up and you're like, let's do this. Um, and that is the company Lavelle. Yes. Which most people are like, am I saying it correctly? Is it level? Cause it's, <laughs> it's got a hyphen in it. It's super complicated. So yeah, it's like Lavelle, Le- Le- level, Le- 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 <laughs> so it's Lavelle. Yes. Uh, they're best known for their three-step system <laughs> uh, that has these um, essentially patches on your arm. That's what most people would, that's what, like what a lay person would say. Um, so they're, they're stickers, they're new, they're, they're vitamin stickers. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a, it, it basically has a capsule, a, um, lifestyle mix. Cause for whatever reason, they don't want to call it a shake, but a lot of people do. And then you finish with this, um, essentially it looks like a bandaid, a colorful bandaid, or I had people ask me if I was trying to quit smoking, <laughs> Uh, but they're an adhesive that actually has, um, like vitamin mineral type things that will go through the skin into your blood system. So the, the thought is the way they position it is that you're getting essential nutrients and vitamins into your body through like different avenues so that you're getting higher absorption than other systems. That's, that's their bread and butter. They've expanded a lot, but that's like what they started with. And that's all like what sold under the Thrive brand? Yeah. So it's, yeah. Thrive is, that's their, 
yeah, their three-step system is Thrive. They now have Thrive Skin, which is like a CBD skincare line. Um, they have like, like a Thrive athlete type of line, I think. Um, I didn't get into that too much, to be honest. I mean, not that I'm not athletic, but just it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't really what I was doing every day. Um, and then they have like, they have some like food, like snack, um, you know, bites or whatever, like bars, they have a few of those. And then they have, um, uh, it's essentially, it's like an extra caffeine, caffeine drink. I think it has a lot of caffeine in it. I don't know exactly how much, um, but it's like a powder that you're going to put in and, you know, shake with water and drink it to like get an extra pep in your step or whatever. And the whole thing with their system, their three-step is that it's like time released. So it's supposed to be tea derived and it's, you know, happening throughout the day, which is why you're not going to have slumps and you're not like, you're not supposed to have synthetic caffeine is what they kind of say, like synthetic, like coffee and Coke, and it's going to disrupt the system. So I will say that I had, a, I noticed a difference when I took the three steps, I was actually a customer for like three years before I did anything with the business because oh, I liked really? the product. Yeah. So like I was a teacher um, I started an education. I was a teacher for a while. So I was teaching and a fellow teacher in my department. Um, <laughs> it was December. And in December, if you're a parent or if you're an educator, it doesn't matter, or, or kid, December is busy and it's tiring. And a lot of people, while it's joyful, it is also exhausting for many people. And so, um, I just remember her walking down the halls, like super full of energy, really positive. Um, and you know, we had a rapport because we worked in the same department, but I was just like, girl, it's December and I'm tired. What, what are you doing? What's happening? So she just kind of briefly gave me the spiel and had me try like a three-day trial. Like they're big on samples, right? And so uh, I didn't really notice anything with the sample, but she of course gives you this like vision of like, well, you have to try it for the full, like 30 days, 60 days is what they, it's kind of like their thing, right? Like you have to get it in your system and like, you know, and they make a big deal about like, what is your day where you thrived? right? Like it's some people it's day one, you feel a difference. Some, some people it's day nine and it's day 21 or, but it's like, this was your thrive day. And like, oh. it was like, you woke up and you felt something. It's so, like a breakthrough in a Nexium five day. Yeah. Or like, I it's, they make such a big deal out of it, which looking back, I understand why, <laughs> you know, they almost treat it like it was like the day you woke up and became brand new in this new it's like this new day dawned and it was like I became what I was meant to be I mean that's not what they say but that's kind of like I feel like that's the hype right <laughs> so now I'm thriving yeah exactly so um I did not feel anything for 
a bit, but like, I like the honesty. I mean, I, yeah, it's, um, but I did probably like, I think it was like 15 days in. And for me, like, I just, it was not like I woke up full of amazing energy and (laughs) sometimes the way people describe it, it sounds like people woke up on crack, honestly, like, (laughs) Right, Because some people are like, I woke up and I didn't need coffee. And it was like, I achieved 50 million things in the first hour. And you're like, okay, that sounds like not vitamins. What, what, what's going on? Um, so I, that was not my experience. Mine was simply, I noticed I didn't have normal slumps. So like normally in my teaching day, I had like right after lunch into the, you know, one to three o'clock range, I was like, I'm working to not drag. And so a lot of times it would be like, you know, I need a Coke or just like run around the hallway a little during break or, you know, something to kind of like make it through the rest of the day. And so I will say that for me, like I enjoyed the product for quite some time. And I don't know that I would have even gone down this path if I hadn't believed in the product. So I was a paying customer for, uh, several years. (laughs) And what was like the month, like the average monthly cost you were spending on your thriving habit? So if you get, they don't call it basic, like the foundational, whatever lifestyle, I don't know what they call it now, but, um, it's like $150. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yes. Um, but they have vitamin stickers. Yes. Um, and I'll get to how they reel you in, even as a customer to being like, but you can get it for free, but they have. So I'll say like, that's like the entry level is 150, but that's, if you get their like normal, um, their, their regular sticker, they have like different patches that you can, they call them DFTs, um, dermafusion technology. (laughs) So they have different DFTs that you can get. Um, so the one that I got was like the next price point. So I think I paid like 164, 170 a month. Some of them are much pricier and then you're spending like 200 a month. And that doesn't include if you do anything like, um, you want the amino acids supplement that they added down the line or any of the, like, um, the caffeine drink, which they don't call it a caffeine drink. And I cannot remember for the life of me what it's called, but, um, any, basically anything other than the three steps that, that doesn't include any of that. So, I mean, you could spend a lot depending on what you choose to purchase. Um, but they tell you even as a, as a customer, oh, you know, you, you can get this for free. Every customer can get it for free if you refer to people. And that's how they get even their customers to recruit for you is encouraging them like, well, if you want, I'll help you get it for free. All you have to do is tell me a few of your friends or, you know, someone else that wants to feel as good as you're feeling. So like the goal is you get them feeling something on this product and then you encourage them to get it for free 
by referring to people. And the way that that's supposed to work is like, if I get my mom to purchase and my best friend to purchase, as long as both of them are purchasing for, I mean, let's say they purchase for a year and I don't have anyone else that's purchasing, then I would get the average of whatever they spend. So if they both spent 150, then I'm getting 115 credits. And then, then I'm turning around and putting that toward my own product. But as soon as somebody doesn't purchase, then you either have to get someone else or, you know, you're, you're one is not enough. <laughs> right. Well, it seems to me, and, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, when you join Lavelle, like you're joining as it's all the same, right? Like it doesn't matter if you're joining to build a team or if you're joining to be a customer, you join the exact same way. It's just whether or not you get friends to try it underneath you. And and that's how you grow your team, right? So you have either a customer account or a promoter account. And once you switch to promoter, you can never switch back. Okay. So So the second you have someone try it underneath you, like they're saying the two people that you, that's when you become promoter. No, I would have to choose that and sign a contract and all of those things. So I can, as a customer, I can refer. And so they have a special section where you can refer people. Like everyone gets a link. Every customer automatically gets a website link, a referral link. But if I'm a customer, then any of those referrals are just about credits for me. I don't get commission and that's the catch. So that's how they actually flip some people is that if you are referring five people and you're already getting credits as a customer, then it's not that far of a step to say, gosh, don't you want the commission off of this? You've already done the work. You might as well have some gas money or grocery money for your trouble. And like a lot of people flip that way because if you're already like most people are like, well, I can't afford to do this forever because that's a lot of money. Right. And so if you like the product, then you're trying to figure out a way to get it for free. And then if you're getting it for free, then it's like, well, you've already done the work. You might as well get some of the cash. And then they flip you (laughs) to a promoter. And the, the added trick to this is they tell you that you can be a promoter for free. And that was a lot of appeal for me personally, because then, then you think like, there's no risk, right? Because there's no kit to buy. There's, you can, I don't even have to buy product technically to be a promoter. I just sign up as a promoter. I could technically just start selling product without having tried it at all. They don't require you to be a customer first, any of that. And they tell you like, well, this is completely for free. So it's zero risk. But what they don't obviously tell you is all the extra things that that then they encourage you to purchase, to invest in your business. And while we don't have to have inventory, you know, they, the company themselves, they do all the shipping it's cloud-based. So you don't have to have like a physical office per se, but there's so many ways that they encourage you to have product samples, for example, like they don't tell you, you have to do it, but at the same time, I knew for me, I, I wasn't going to purchase $150 worth of product. I have not tried or tasted, right? Like uh-huh. most people don't. And so you automatically go like, yes, yeah, 
handing out samples or mailing them to people who are interested is the best way to convert someone into a customer. And so that means that you're purchasing product. And then they also do other incentives as well. Like several different times, there was this big push of like, well, if you buy, I think it was like $800 worth of product, then you are treated like you are at the highest level earner spot for like four months. So you bought your way into being at the top of the company rank wise for your commissions, which sounds like, oh my gosh, of course, that's such a good idea. Like I can, I need this product. I'm going to use this product. I have to use it for samples anyway. Like I know I'm going to use it. So I should be doing that and investing in my business. And then I'm also getting paid a lot more than I would be at my current rank. But the thing is, is that... (laughs) you know, even if you are using all of that up, like you still spent $800 worth of freaking money that you're not getting an immediate rate of return on. Right. And so like, either you have to be thinking about, I'm going to spend a certain amount of samples and so on and so forth. And you were really good at budgeting. Like this is how much I can spend. And I'm actually still making money, but most of us aren't smart about it. Most of us don't go into this as business people who have all of this knowledge. And so I absolutely lost money the first year for sure, (laughs) because of all these different ways that you're encouraged to invest and to pay, but you're like, well, but it was free. (laughs) Right. I mean, MLMs love to use bait and switch to get people hooked in. Uh, it's, It's interesting. You say that it's free to join. Uh, this not the only MLM that's free to join. I know new skin is also free to join. Also, you hear about like, sometimes it's free to join in the month of whatever in certain companies. And they really, really push that it's free to join. It's risk-free. Oh my gosh. This is an incredible time. If you've ever wanted to join this business, you can do it hundred percent risk-free. It's completely free, 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 free. Right. Yeah. I'm pushing that. But we all know, because we listen to this show and we talk to people that have been in these companies, that that's not true. Like you just shared, as soon as you join a company that's free, there's that bait and switch. They're going to switch it. It's pay to play. It's a pyramid scheme. You can't participate in a pyramid scheme without paying money in some way. I'm sorry. It's just not ever going to work. So that's where that bait and switch comes in. And they start going like, oh, well, you can't be a product of the product if you don't have any product. So you got to at least try it and you were a customer and you liked it. So now you can get this really incredible deal that's within, you know, usually sometimes it'll be like within the first 24, 48, 72 hours of you joining at the only time that you can get this really incredible deal. And it's, you know, it's really hyping up that FOMO, like, oh my God, do I really need all this stuff? I'm probably not, but like, it's so discounted. Like I'm getting, I'm pretty much getting most of it free. And you're like, you're suspending disbelief in your own head. You're, mm-hmm. you're battling with yourself. You're like, could I? Yeah, I could. That's easy, but it's free, but I was going to use it anyway. Even if I don't sell it, I'll use it. And you're coming yeah. up with all these excuses and all of these answers and everything. And, and, you know, like it's, it's just, it's all part of it. It's yeah. all part of it. It's, it's a bait and switch. That's the pay to play. There's the reason that this is happening where you have this FOMO, where you want to get this product now. There's a reason they have all these like thought stopping cliches about, you know, like being a product of the product. Like, how do you argue with that? You're like, okay, well that absolutely makes sense. Sign me up for 10 of them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, there's other ways that they, that they, they don't tell you that they're going to encourage you to, or even, and I'm sure that anyone who's listening, you know, if you're on the fence or like, you're not there yet where you're going, yeah, like this is, this is pay to play. This is, this is a scam. This is a pyramid scheme. Like it's understandable that you kind of go, well, as a business, like there are things you're going to have to invest in to run the business. And they really work that mentality to get you to pay for stuff. Because I don't know how many times I was doing, like, I knew I was going to do a pop-up. And so I purchased, I went and submitted something to FedEx for them to blow up and print out. And then I got one of those like A-frame things because I wanted people to be able to see, you know, come into the store. Like, this is the pop, like, there's all of these little things that really, really, really add up. And I cannot tell you how much I have thrown away being out of it. Or I'm just like, why did I print so many of this? Why do I have so many business cards? Like when I did, <laughs> I didn't really hand out a lot of business cards. Like there's all of these office products and paper products on top of buying the actual product. Like, what are you going to send your samples in? You have to buy envelopes or you have to buy like gift bags to hand to people and all these little things to put stuff in and ship stuff out and do the parties or do the pop-ups or do the dang thing that they don't tell you is a part of the cost. And you're just not making enough as a regular schmo in the company to actually even just break even, which obviously my time and energy should also get paid and I shouldn't be just breaking even for this to be like a legit thing. Right. MLMs love to use legitimate things to make it seem like a legitimate business and make you like, oh, you're such a boss, babe. You're going to have to go make all these copies. So many people are going to want them. You should just have them on hand. Just go get that done. And this doesn't really benefit the company other than the free advertising that you're paying for. But like what it does is it gets you stuck in that sunk cost fallacy. So you're Mm -hmm. even more financially tied into this boss babe idea than you were before you printed up these flyers and spent $50 at FedEx or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, certainly the company itself is not telling me like do X, Y, and Z, but you, you, you're not just with a company, like you're, you have an upline, you have a team, you have other people who are telling you, this is how they got to where they are. And you're, they tell you, they, the company does tell you to replicate people, you know, you're trying to do what you're told so that you can replicate and be successful. And so you're looking at what your upline is doing or someone that you admire in the company who looks like they're making money and you're trying to do what they're doing, you know, and it's, so no one's like telling you, this is what you have to spend your money on. But at the same time, like they're telling you to replicate what other people are doing. And so you're, you're doing everything you can think of to try and make some money. Absolutely. I mean, 100%. Absolutely. They tell you, you know, how do I, how do I get successful? I I really want to be successful. I want to be the top. How do I do that? Like, that's all I want to do. Well, you, you have to look at who, who the top is. You have to do what they're doing. Ask them how they got there. Right. So you go to your, your upline and you say, how did you do what you did to get to where you are? Cause I want to do that too. And they're so happy to hear that because they know it's going to generate a lot of income for them. 
I'm like, this is what you got to do. Like it's some sort of formulaic answer. Like anybody can plug in the numbers and anybody can do the dang thing. And it just pops out the right thing every single time. It doesn't, it, do, it doesn't work like that. It's a scam. Yeah. It, yeah. It's mathematically impossible for the formula that they give you to, to happen. You know, we talked to Michelle yeah. about these MLM coaches and that's, they're selling this formula. They're, they're, they're oh, yeah. having you give them even more money to sell them the formula that you've already been regurgitated to a hundred different times. It's just right. in a fancier font this time. And it's, there are these ridiculous secrets that don't mean anything and you just get stuck. And again, yeah. there's even more sunk cost fallacy. There's even well, more. I mean, you are that. replicating, but you're replicating, <laughs> you're replicating the, the scam. I mean, like, that's Absolutely. the thing. Like I'm not replicating the 1%, like I'm replicating all the people that are giving the 1% their money. Right. Exactly. It's that it's the, it's the failure formula. Yeah. It's working for the 1%. Yeah. Which means it decimates the 99. Yeah. But I didn't know that obviously. Right. (laughs) None of us did. Nobody walks in thinking like, well, gosh, I I want to be part of the, the 99% that doesn't really make back my money. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's great. I mean, we kind of chicken scratched around, but that's great information for the free MLMs and how there really still is a pay to play aspect. It's still there. It's just not at the front door. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What was it that was attractive about Lavelle and the Thrive system that made you choose to join and be a customer? Where were you in your life when it looked like, hey, like this is a really good answer for me? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like now that I have listened to your show and a lot of like I've listened to the Dream po- Podcast and, and just kind of done a lot more looking in this anti-MLM space, I... 100% am uh, typical <laughs> um, because I was in a really vulnerable place at the time. So I'd been a customer for a while, like I said. Um, so I think December of 2016 is when I started taking the product. And I was asked at the time, like, oh, you know, if you love the product so much, do you want it? And I was like, no, I do not have time to be anything other than a teacher. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with adding a business. Um, I had done Mary Kay for a while, but not as really a business, but just, I wanted the discount because <laughs> um, I purchased it. So I, I kind of knew that there would be work involved and like things. And I just didn't want to bother with any of that. So for a while, I just was a customer, but I liked the product. I felt like, you know, there were times where I would go off of it just to kind of double check. Is this still feeling different? And it still seemed to be making a difference in, you know, my energy and stamina and things like that. But I wasn't interested in doing anything with the business, but I um, was a principal for a while in a really difficult, I mean, being a principal is a difficult job in general. Being a teacher is a difficult job in general. Like any educator, (laughs) if you haven't hugged an educator recently, please do so. Um, It's tough, right? And so, but that particular job, there was just a lot of, it was one of the most toxic jobs I've worked at. I'll just say that. And so 
it left me very burned out. It left me in a very vulnerable place where I was really trying to just regain some energy and wellness and well-being and my mental health and all of those things. So I had spent some time not working in order to like several months, I was not working and I really was just trying to recover from this ordeal that I had gone through. Um, and I was really, I recognize that not everyone has the time and space and finances to do that. And I'm forever grateful, um, that, that we did. And that my husband was very supportive of taking that financial hit. But I was just getting to a place where I was, it was like spring and I was like recovering some energy and kind of coming out of this awful hibernation, (laughs) you know, phase um, and definitely was continuing to recover. But I was getting to this place of starting to feel good again and starting to like want to do something other than just recuperate from this experience. And so it was still in the middle of the school year and I didn't want to just substitute or I didn't want to be back into an education setting yet. Um, and so I was looking for something that would have community. I miss being, I mean, as a teacher, you talk to like 200 people a day, which can be exhausting, but it's also for someone who likes people is fun and interesting. And every day is different. And I missed that. I missed having that energy, um, you know, at a school and talking with different people and having relationships and colleagues and, um, community and connection. And so I was at a place where I was like, I would love to be making a little money. I would love to be on a team again, or like talking to people on a regular basis. Like I was lonely. Um, and so I had just been trying to kind of like figure that out had ended up the person who had, uh, given me the thrive initially, um, was still a teacher and I had moved since then. So we didn't live in the same place, but she had, I don't remember exactly, um, you know, if she had done a live that I saw or something, but somehow she like got into my brain of like, Oh, I wonder if this is a good option. And so I had, questions. Cause I'm a person who asks a lot of questions. So I had asked her like all these things, like what happens if this is this or that, or how does this work? And, but I remember just really trying to figure out what is the level of risk if I want to do this, because with Mary Kay, you absolutely had to buy a kit and half of the stuff wasn't the right skin tone. I mean, you know, like they make you buy all this product. That's not even for just you. And so is there a kit to buy? Like, do I, how do you make money? Like what's, what's the cost? And so I didn't want to have to uh, bring in a certain amount every quarter or you don't get, you know, paid or I mean, whatever, like there's all of these behind the scene things that not every company will tell you. And so in asking all those questions, you know, I had a conversation with my husband and he's an accountant and I was just like, so you know, should I do this? Should I not? And I was just kind of really on the fence. Like I wasn't sure. And I just remember him saying, well, it doesn't cost anything to do it. Right. So, I mean, if this is something that you think would be fulfilling or, you know, useful and like making some side money, like, you know, if this is, if this is something you want to do and it doesn't cost you anything, like 
go for it. (laughs) And, you know, neither one of us knew, right. But I, that was kind of just the, the headspace I was at was I was lonely. I just come out of this like horrible situation that I was still recovering from. Um, I didn't want to be in education at that time because I wanted to recover before deciding if I was going to go back in the classroom or not. Um, and it was free. So why not? (laughs) And that's how Um, I got roped in. (laughs) Wow. So throughout your experience in thrive, what were some of the things that you experienced that we talk about here on the show that made you go ding, ding, ding. Yep. That happened to me. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I probably like really gave it everything for a solid year. So I, when I say everything, I mean, I was working it full time. I was doing everything. I was asking questions like, how do you, you know, what's the system that you use? How do you do this? Like, you know, following what I had been told would create success. It was such a grind and hustle. Like when, when it is said, you know, like just fit it into the pockets of your day, pockets of time. And like, you're going to have so much more time. That was honestly one of the things that grew increasingly. I, I became just increasingly dissatisfied with because I had already experienced complete burnout as an educator. I knew what that felt like. And I knew when I am being asked to give and give and give and give and not demanding boundaries. And it got to a point where like the expectation was to take a call no matter what time of day. And it didn't matter if I was trying to spend time with my husband or family or have a life outside of this business. It was like, although no one explicitly said, this is what you have to do. Um, there is a lot of discussion around, well, is this a money-making activity? And it's like, there's so many things that aren't. And so that makes you feel like, well, I have to fill my day with money-making activities, but there's a ton of things that we have to do to live and be human beings and have a fulfilled, balanced life. And so there definitely was this increase of, over time of just hustle, 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 grind, 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 that I became more and more aware of, um, and doing that. I mean, one of the other things as well, like in the beginning, I felt like, you know, I had been lonely. And that was one of the reasons, like, I wanted to talk to people again. Um, I wanted to work with people. I wanted to feel like I had quote unquote colleagues in the building, you know? And so, um, I was, so one of the things about Lavelle is that, um, you can move people in your lineup, like in your team for the first, I think it's like the first 30 days, somewhere around there. So like, if you have a promoter that comes on to your team, so if I sign someone up under me, I have a certain amount of time. And I think it's around 30 days to see like where is a good fit? And I'm putting that in air quotes because some of what you're looking at is, are they going to make any money? (laughs) You know, like how can I maximize my team? And you can stack people, like you can create legs, like you can, you know, put people where they're going to do the most for you 
to make the most amount of money that you can make. It's, it's supposedly you're also doing it for someone else's benefit, but you know, I won't speak for anyone else, but (laughs) I could see where that's not to your benefit. Uh, the person that is being moved. So I actually, although I, as a customer was under, um, I'll, I'll call her Rita. So Rita, um, I'm technically under her, but she moved me somewhere else on her team so that I, my upline was someone else and I'll call her Jane. So I was under Jane's upline, which meant, and this is the kind of like tricky part, which means that yes, Jane gets some money, but like you get, when people rank up, that wasn't going to Jane. That was still going to Rita, if I remember correctly. So the incentive for Jane to invest in me depending on who she is and, you know, what she wants and so on. It's not that she won't ever invest in me, but there is a cap to how much money she's going to make off of me. So her wanting to put people under me to build up my leg, for example, there's not as much incentive because ranking up is not going to go to her. Ranking up is going to go to Rita. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So there was definitely, and I will say like Jane, Jane, I have nothing bad to say about Jane. Like she did so much as an upline to spend time to, um, work with me, you know, all of those types of things. Um, I thought that we were good friends for quite some time and I'll get into that in a second, (laughs) but I did I did find that there came a point like she was building momentum. Um, And so Jane, I was seeing was stacking people because she was continuing to recruit. And I finally asked at one point, like, you don't owe me anything. And I recognize that, but I'm also curious, like, why are we not putting anyone under me? And I didn't at the time connect the dots that it was about money and she never said it was. So allegedly it's, you know, whatever she's saying it is, but to me, I feel like money is a factor. Um, You know, what I was always told was like, this is, this makes the most sense for my team and la 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 and just whatever spiel it was. Um, But to me, like it really, there's some interesting things about how they, let you move people around that I think can create a lot of like pitting people against each other and setting up people for a failure for sure. Absolutely. It's, it it really is. It was something I saw a, a lot in MLM. It's like the separate, but equal thing. Yeah. And it's like, I am under you, but I'm not, you're not going to get as high of a percentage. So you really have not as much um, God, what's the word? Not as much motivation to help me as you do to help all these other people. And if she's still constantly recruiting, then obviously she's going to want to help the people that, that affect her the most. And right. even though she's not going to come out and say that it's money, most likely yeah. what she's doing mm-hmm. is building the strongest pyramid to get her to the rank at the, the, the tippity toppy as highest rank she can hit, Absolutely. which then in turn is about money. 
Right. <laughs> because higher ranks make more money. Right. So it's like, yeah. yeah, it is money. When you get, when you follow all of the lines and you, and all of the excuses, it really does come back down to money. And that sucks. The reason yeah. she doesn't want to help you is because you won't make her as much as someone else. Well, and there was also, I remember, and I don't remember verbatim, but I do remember the, her commenting on, well, no one was going to build your team for you. Like, and it was almost as though it, it was almost as though she was saying like, I don't owe you a team. I, I'm not required to put people under you. Like that was never stated, but that certainly there, there was an implication of like, well, everyone is responsible for building their own team and, and doing their own hard work. And it just, it just really, like, I remember at the time it was like, of course you don't owe me a team. I'm not saying that you do, but you are putting people places and you're never putting them under me. And at that time I was, because again, I thought we were friends. I was worried that it was, she didn't trust me or she didn't believe in me enough. Right. So I was still under that mentality of like, if you're never putting people under me, is that because you don't think that I'm doing a good enough job that I'm not like a good enough leader for that, that you can't trust to like put people under me. Right. So like that obviously was not the case. And I see that now, but at the time I was just like, man, we're supposed to be friends. And like, you're never willing to put people under me. And you're like building up all these people that just like came on the scene. And I was just like, I mean, what does that mean? And it was kind of this whole, you know, it's not me, it's you. It's not you, it's me. Like, I mean, you know, it's, it, it was, it really kind of felt like I had been told, um, like when well, you're imagining it and, you know, no one owes you a team and you just have to work really hard. And like, like, this isn't something that I have to do for you. And I was like, well, no, but you do are doing it for other people. <laughs> yeah. The whole fact that Lavelle actually allows you up to 30 days to move people around to build the most effective pyramid makes her point a moot point. Like, yeah, no, that's a whole point of this is putting people underneath people and building a pyramid and building a team for other people to hit ranks, to hit ranks, to rank, rank, rank. That's right. the whole point of being able to move people. So don't you dare say that you don't owe me a team. No, no one's asking for a team. You're literally just asking to be considered when she's putting people under people. Right. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I definitely, like, I do not fall in the super successful category. <laughs> you know, I lost money. Um, my goal, like, was to, after the first year, and I, because I did my own taxes. Um, and so I, when I, like, did the Excel spreadsheet, I was like, oh, my God, because I saw the data. And I don't know why I, like, didn't think about doing that earlier <laughs> than tax time. But I like saw the numbers and I went, oh my gosh, like I have to make, I didn't even click at that point. Like this is, this is not working. Like I, why is this not working? Um, it was more of, wow, I've put so much into this and I'm not getting, like, I'm definitely losing money. Like I need to not spend like this in these places. Like that was the mentality. Like it still hadn't gotten to the point of going, um, I'm not failing the system. The system is failing me. 
Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the flow knit high-rise boyfriend jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claims standard approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete.me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete.me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Um, you know, but yeah, like some of the other things that I saw in my experience was a lot of the, like, as Jane's team was expanding, like initially she didn't have a lot of people who were trying to have a business. And so there were a few of us that she was spending a lot of time with because we were willing to put in the time. And so initially, like we spent a lot of time together and, and for someone who was looking for friendship, was looking for community, um, that was great. Like I was so excited to have this friendship. Like I thought there was a friendship that was forming. And I mean, we shared things about our lives and, you know, our, what was going, not just the present, but like things that had happened in our childhood or like our parents or whatever, you know, there was all of like, I don't just share everything with everyone. Right. And so 
I felt like there was a level of vulnerability with her that I was investing because I thought we were also friends, you know? And so when that team was starting to get really going for Jane, like I saw a definite shift in what she was willing to invest in time. And, you know, especially because I wasn't showing the return and it it really became more and more clear that it was much more about business and less about friendship, you know, which is, it, it made me really sad. It, it definitely like hurt my feelings a lot because the, the way that really came to a head is that, um, you know, there had been, there had, it was coming up to 4th of July. Like we were talking about what to do. Um, and things were changing on how she was doing the team, because like I said, it was growing. And I had even talked with her about like some of the meetings and getting like really bogged down and things that are like repeat questions. And like, shouldn't we be using time to like train and, you know, like talk about things that everyone needs to be present for or whatever. And, but we were doing these like virtual, virtual parties essentially. And so for 4th of July, I had asked about, okay, well, this is scheduled for the Friday of 4th of July. Like, do we have enough people of just promoters? Like are people on our team even going to be around because the summer, like for sales in the summer, people are gone. And so sales, like have definite slumps. Right. And I knew from experience, like this was going to be a slump. And so we were going to have people on our team gone. Potential customers are going to be busy on a holiday. And I was in my mind, I was just asking about, is this something that we want to like push or not? And if we're going to push, like I was hosting a virtual event later in the month and it had been pushed previously. And like, so I just was trying to bring awareness. Like, do we want to do that? And if so, like, do we just want to do one event this month and like pool our resources? Anyway, asking the question, whew, like I got communication after the meeting because nobody said anything negative at the time. So it wasn't like, no, we don't want to do that. And we want to do X, Y, and Z instead. I would not have cared. It would have been like, great. Okay, cool. Thanks. Like no problem. But instead after the meeting, apparently people from the team started to blow up Jane's phone about like, are we combining and we don't want to do that? And what was meant? And, you know, like, does Lauren have a problem with this other person? And like, just drama, just drama, drama, drama. (laughs) And so in the fault conversation, you know, Jane is putting me in this like other person who is running the other event. Like we're all in kind of a Marco Polo together to have a conversation, which was fine. Except the way that conversation kind of happened, I was a problem child is how it came across, which really pissed me off. So instead of it being like, Hey, we don't want to do like, we weren't paying attention We don't want to do the thing that you asked about. Like, we're not going to do that. Cool. It became this whole thing of like, Jane was really irritated that she even had to deal with this and why people were like talking to her and all this stuff going on behind the scenes. And I was just like, Hey, in the future, 
it would be nice if we could just say this in the meeting because this didn't have to be a big deal. And also like, (laughs) could we not just, when we have a problem with each other, go to the person directly, you know? And it it just like, so me talking with her about it, like she just kind of kept coming back with, we just want to be positive and we want to keep this encouraging at these meetings. And like, if you want to ask a question like that, like you should do it privately. And like, I had actually asked the question like the week before of her and she didn't respond, (laughs) which was fine, but like, don't tell me, come to me privately. Like, don't try and tell me like to get me in trouble for not following a protocol. You've not told anyone that you want, first of all. And then second of all, to be like, well, you know, you need to tell me privately first. And it was just kind of like, okay, well, I tried that. And like, you didn't respond. And then it became all of this, like, well, your Marcos are really long. And like, I have to do them in chunks because that you talk so long and you like, I don't even remember all the things that you say. And like, you need to just keep asking your question until I answer it. And it was like all of this, like coming back on how I need to do something different to get a different result. And it was pissing me off like so much because I was sitting there going, this is becoming a way bigger deal than it should have been. I just asked a fucking question and this didn't have to be like this big thing. And it it just became so much about, I was a problem. You may not have intended it this way, but the way that you asked it, like, made it into this thing and you need to ask things differently. And like, (laughs) it just kind of went on and on about how we just need to move. Like it was either, I want to move on and sweep this under the rug and not talk about this anymore. And when I was like, no, like this needs to be addressed because I don't want to have an issue. Cause I'm thinking this is a friendship. And when I'm talking with a friend, like, and this isn't just business, I'm going, Hey, like we're having a problem I usually just talk to my friends and like, hear what they have to say, see where they're coming from and go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was what was happening for you. I'm really sorry about that. And like, how can we do this differently? And also expecting that they're going to do the same for me. And the thing that was like pissing me off in the conversation with her is that there was never an accountability on her end. Because as a leader, if you're running a team, I know this because I've had to run a staff as an administrator, you're going to absolutely have conflict, but you should have upfront a conflict protocol of resolution if you want a smooth team. And you should be directing people to have conversations. Like if you have a problem with Judy Bloom over there, you need to talk to Judy Bloom before you come running to your boss. Like having 50 people come to you after a meeting. Yeah, that would aggravate me too, but you need to be telling them to redirect them to have a conversation with the person they have a problem with. Like she took that on. She included herself in a problem that didn't really have to be a big problem, but instead of it being about, Hey, like I need to rethink this or like, you know, we need to have some of these conflict resolutions in place. It was like, well, if you wouldn't ask questions this wouldn't have happened. This wouldn't have blown up. I wouldn't have had to spend time on this drama in the first place. Like that was really kind of what it came down to. And so I wasn't backing down and I was like, I was trying to be really respectful. Right. But I'm just kind of going like, I don't appreciate how X, Y, and Z is happening. (laughs) And like, finally 
you know, she just didn't talk to me for two weeks. That was like, <laughs> that was, that was how that happened is. Cause I was just like, okay, like, this is what I saw. Like, I, we don't have to keep talking about this, but like, there was no acknowledgement of that kind of like the last thing that I said. And it was just, you know, she didn't, she didn't talk to me for a couple of days. So I reached out and was like, Hey, you're really important to me as a friend. And I've tried to give you space and I'm not sure what's going on for you, but I'd love to have a follow-up conversation where we can just repair our relationship if we need to do that, because you're an important person to me. And I basically just got like a text back saying, I don't want to talk to you right now. And like, you know, everything's fine, but I don't want to talk to you right now. And I didn't hear from her for like two weeks. But it's like the audacity of you having a conversation about time freedom on 4th of July, like celebrating freedom, like on the 4th of July and then being like, you need to work. And you're like, I don't really want to do that though. And is this is important? Oh, well, how dare you? How dare you? Well, it went, it went further than that because when, when I tried to articulate, like, I didn't realize asking a question would create all this hoopla, like that was not my intention. And the conversation I got or the response I got was like, well, this isn't because you asked a question. It's how you asked the question and how you made everybody feel when you asked the question. And knowing what I know now, I would really love to say, I'm not responsible for how you feel you getting bent out of shape or people like getting worked up is not necessarily my responsibility. Like, yeah, I get if I, you know, yelled at somebody or was really out of line somehow, but like how you feel about things is not necessarily about me, (laughs) you know? And so like having this whole, we, you know, it's not about the question. It's, it's, it's because you said it wrong. And because we didn't like having to deal with it, that you're getting in trouble. And it's like, okay, well, I just, like, I won't ask questions. It's so culty. They don't want you to ask questions because your questions lead to answers they can't answer. Yeah. Without like looking like a scammer in a cult. I mean, that particular question, like they probably could have answered and should have in the meeting, but again, it's, it's a lot of passive aggressive, right? Because nobody wants to just make statements. And the fact that you had like several people after the meeting, what was that about? Was there something wrong? And does Lauren have a problem with so-and-so? And And it's like creating unnecessary drama and like probably just fueling that, those little tiny flames into a huge fire. Yeah. That I apparently was the problem for according to the conversation. So there was the irony of all of this, like the delicious, delicious irony of all of this, because that for me was the moment where I was like, I am out. I was already feeling burned out. Like there was a lot that kind of led up to that already, but that was the moment where I was like, I am no longer going to be a part of this group, this team, like this toxic positivity, this like, Oh, I, you know, this, I wanted community and this is not a community that I want to be a part of, but the irony of all of this is like, so that was the end of June. And then (laughs) I think November of that same year, I got a Marco Polo, like there were a couple of like 
Jane and I didn't just stop talking altogether. And there was a follow-up conversation after the two weeks of silence because I demanded one. I was like, I'm not going back to have any kind of like conversation or even business. Like, no, we don't get to just like drop off the face of the earth and then never talk about it. That's not how, that's not how adults conduct business or friendship. Um, but it was, she was all business in the follow-up. So that was kind of the moment where I was like, all right, like, we're not friends. This was never about friendship. Like this was you, if you just want this to be about business, then that's fine. Like I'm done in November, apparently someone else on the team that she was supposed to, like, she knew before bringing them into this business, that was her best friend basically wanted space and was like, I am, I don't like how this has been going. I don't want to be, I don't know that I want to continue. Like I have stuff going on. Like I need space to figure this out. And like, so I I'm being told this by Jane after the fact, like, I think it is like a week later, it's just a random Marco out of the blue, um, in which she tells me that essentially this person asked for space And she is telling me, I mean, I just can't do that. I just can't, you just can't do that out of the blue and just like go radio silent. Like I just, that was unacceptable. And she basically like, they lived in the same neighborhood, like went over and demanded that she talk to her and explain herself for like why she was like dropping the friendship or the business or like what was going on. (laughs) And I just remember after I listened to her talk about this, I turned to my husband and I was like, she knows who she's talking to, right? Like she understands that she basically like stopped talking to me for two weeks and pulled the same shit that she's now having pulled on her. And she's telling me that she couldn't stand 24 hours of radio silence with this person to give them the space that they asked for. Like at least, at least that other person asked for space. Like Jane didn't even ask for space. She just dropped off the face of the earth and cut me out for two weeks. You know what I mean? Like, so it was just like, oh my gosh, that's wild. Yeah. So, you know, just see the hypocrisy in her statement. Well, so I, I, I was like, I don't know how to respond to this. So I just was like, yeah, that sounds really hurtful when you're friends with someone and like, you know, that must've been really hard. I was like, I wonder if she was feeling anything similar to how you were feeling when you needed two weeks of space, when we were fighting six months ago, she did not respond for like months. Yeah. Oh, she never <laughs> responded because I was like, I'm not going to be your go-to person when stuff happens to like, I mean, really it's, it's re it's the same behavior. It's just the shoes on the other foot, but it's that disconnect of not understanding. Like, and this is the thing. I don't blame Jane for that entirely. Like some of that I'm sure is, is her, uh, you know, we're all human. We all make mistakes. But I really see that indicative of a system that is constantly pitting people against each other and making it about, we're not really friends. We're not really looking at connection. We're really, we're always looking at other people for the advantage and a system that is continuously eroding relationships with people. Like part of what really 
I started to see is anytime I tried to make a new friendship, there was always this lurking, like, oh, like maybe, maybe once like we're friends or, ooh, they may, they might be really good for the business. It just was like, instead of being about connection and being about having friendships with people, it started to always have at the back of my mind, would this person be good to recruit or a customer or, and it's just really icky. It's just really icky. So I, you know, there's just was a lot of people perpetuating that toxic positivity, um, trying to sweep things under the rug and not, not really having like good ways to interact with each other. And it just really changed, I think how relationships were working. Um, so, you know, a lot of my experience was about feeling like there was this constant hustle and grind and realizing that friendships were not actually friendships. And it was just like, you know, this is not only not being successful as a, as a side gig or a full-time job, but now it's also costing relationships with people and, you know, getting into the, to the place where my time is not my own again. And I just wasn't down for that, you know? Absolutely. And I don't blame you. Yeah. I will say one of the things that was interesting (laughs) about our time, um, was getting really creative with recruiting people. Cause I didn't really have a lot of people that I successfully recruited, which now I'm incredibly thankful for because there were less apologies I had to make. (laughs) once I got out. (laughs) Um, but, uh, one of the things that we did was actually trying to, to do job interviews. Like it was a legitimate company. Yes. This is, (laughs) um, something that a lot of people ask about (laughs) where people are saying like, Oh, they said they were hiring, but they're not like actually hiring. It was for an MLM. So yeah, let's talk about these, um, creative recruitment methods. (laughs) Yeah. Um, now I will say, I have no idea if the company itself knew anything about it. So this was, you know, not necessarily something that was, um, touted as best practice. This was something that I know our team was trying. Um, (laughs) and it was not something that we were, I don't know that a lot of people on the team were brought into trying it out, but there was probably a solid month where we had created job postings on Indeed, and we were really careful about how we worded it so we didn't violate their policies. And I think we were upfront in the job posting that it was direct sales, but knowing what I know now, like, I mean, there, a lot of them are the same, but, um, I didn't realize there was a distinction for a long time. So we would line up like 10 interviews a day. I mean, it was like we were talking to so many people for several weeks because we would get people interested in making, you know, because we had put like, you could potentially make this amount of money and um, like we weren't giving a salary range. So again, we were trying to like dance that line of not violating um, compliance and some of those things, but it was, it was, it was definitely dancing with that line, um, and misrepresenting, I'm sure in some ways, 
what, because it wasn't a real job <laughs> at the time. I didn't understand that. Right. Um, cause we were like, well, this is a turnkey business and this is something where you can just like run with it. Um, so we talked to a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people. Um, and there were a few people that signed up, but no one that really did a lot with it again, for which I'm thankful for at this point, because I would feel pretty bad about (laughs) recruiting someone under those circumstances. Um, and this was before the pandemic. So thankfully we weren't trying to maximize people's, um, struggle during that time. Um, not that that makes it like so much more ethical, (laughs) but it just, you know, would have been one more like log on the fire of just like, I can't believe we did that. Um, but we, we really tried to recruit people through this in, you know, indeed as though it was a legit job. And, um, we did get some people who like figured out what we were doing in the interview, um, and got upset, (laughs) rightly so at this point. Um, but there was so much that we like were coached on, on what to say and how to counter. And like, you know, this is, uh, we would give, we would even give like some snapshots from the, from the contract. So I had it so that like, we would send them the link. And then there was a snapshot from the contract saying that it was free to do this. Um, so that people would know that we weren't like trying to scam them was the idea. And, um, yeah, it just was looking back. I'm just like, I cannot believe that we tried to, it just was so unethical. Um, at the time it was the thought around it was like, well, this is free. This is direct sales. Like we're being upfront what it's all about. So I recognized that like we were working within (laughs) the cult that we were in, you know, so we didn't think that we were scamming people at the time. Um, But it just like what, what ended it was that indeed kicked us off. They were like, I don't know if someone had tipped them off or reported it or what had happened, but they, um, they made it so that we couldn't open new job postings and they have your IP address. So it's not like you can just create a new account and do it all over again. Right. Like, cause indeed is trying to protect its reputation and they did a good job, although they could have probably done it sooner, but I think a solid month, we probably talked to hundreds of people because there were several of us that were doing it. Um, and we were, we had a shared calendar and we were like, cause we always wanted two people on the call and you know, that whole tactic, but we talked to hundreds of people in a month, um, about this legitimate job opportunity that we had. And looking back, I'm just like, that is probably one of the cringiest things I have ever done. <laughs> wow. I mean, I hear about it. I hear from people saying I signed up for a job interview and it was actually just this or that. So what an interesting perspective to hear it from the person that was doing it. Wow. Yeah. That is, wow. I'm speechless. Yeah, it is not a proud, uh, it's not a proud moment. I know at the time, like, I remember there being conversation around, 
if they had to purchase anything in order to do this, like we wouldn't have done it because that wouldn't have been ethical, but because it was quote unquote free and we weren't lying on the, the, we weren't lying to them in the conversation and we weren't, I mean, we were very upfront about what it was, you know, so it wasn't, I will say that like, we weren't trying to say that we weren't hiding that it was an MLM um, in the interview. Like we, we, we got to that pretty quick for people. So at least we weren't completely duplicitous, but yeah, looking back, I'm just like, Oh, that was definitely not the finest a moment. <laughs> no, I mean, I understand that for sure. You look back and you're like, dang, I did some cringy stuff when I was in an MLM. Yeah. Myself included, you know, and it's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but it's okay now learning and, and helping educate other people that might be doing the same thing and not understand why it's predatory or cringy or, you know, scam. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it's, it's been an interesting interwoven experience because I was, like I said, in a super vulnerable place, which is why I joined the company. Um, But one of the things that, because these are supplements and because it's supposed to be all about health and wellness, while they're really careful as a company, um, like I heard repeatedly conversation around, like, don't make promises, um, like telling people, you know, you're going to take these supplements and lose weight. Like they were very clear as a company that is out of compliance. Like that's a false promise. Like you can't say that. Um, not everyone adheres to that, (laughs) uh, within the company, because you have a lot of people that you're trying to manage. Um, but as a company itself, I felt like they were trying to be very clear around the parameters of what you can and can't say. At the same time, I felt like there was definitely a lot of, there was an underlying encouragement, I'll say, of you are the face of the product. And so I remember, I don't remember what the meeting was for, but I remember one of the founders sharing. Um, it was supposed to be a training, I think. Um, but I remember him sharing about he was selling, this was early on in the company and he was selling and, um, he wasn't making the kind of sales that he wanted. And he was very young, I believe at the time. And so he was talking about how, you know, this is supposed to be a health and wellness product. And he was sharing how like he was still out partying and doing all this stuff that really wasn't aligning with what health and wellness quote unquote should be. And so he was essentially like the message I heard, I don't know if this was the intention um, or if this was, again, it was not blatantly stated this way, but what I took from that and him sharing that was if you're not making money, it's not about the company or the product. It's about you and what are you not doing? that's not making sales? Is it that you are not somehow aligning with the message so that this disconnect is causing people to not buy from you? Again, all of this messaging around, it's my fault if I'm not successful and blaming 
the individual instead of the system. Right. And so I just remember hearing that at the time though, and kind of going like, well, gosh, like, am I showing people the healthiest perspective, you know, the healthiest face of this product. And so for me, you know, I've always been plus size. And while I have never, I was always so careful about this because I never wanted to tell someone like, this'll, this'll help you lose weight because I knew that it wouldn't because I was taking the product and it's not like I shed all these pounds without trying, right? Didn't work that way. That's not what it was supposed to be about. It was supposed to be about taking care of your body and giving it the nourishment that it needed, right? But as time went on, in being in this company, there was a lot of push on like, you are the face of the product, being healthy, showing this healthy lifestyle and like people sharing these stories or marketing themselves as like whatever that face of health that they wanted to portray. Like some people, you know, becoming sober and then using their sobriety story to, um, push that this was like, I mean, I never heard anyone say they became sober because of the product, but using their sobriety story to connect with other people who were struggling in that way, um, you know, creating something about their health that was going to connect with other people. And again, I never heard anyone say like that their health was improved as a cause, like no one was ever saying like this cured my cancer or something wild. The company itself was always very careful about that, but there was this push for find something about your health that you can then turn around and connect with people on and like advocate for almost to push the product. And so I, I have always, again, like I said, been plus size and I, in, I mean, there's been diets I've gone on a million times. <laughs> Just like name a diet. I've probably done it. Um, so I had dieted for a long time and I'm very active. I love to hike. I love to bike. Um, I've always been super, you know, athletic. And so, you know, it's not like I wasn't doing those things already, But there was this at the back of my mind and just in conversation with some people, there was a perception I had that my weight was holding me back from being successful in the company. And for a long time, I thought, well, I'm an emotional eater and that must be the reason that I'm not losing weight. And so I started to really deep dive into like emotional eating and what is emotional eating about? Like you know, cause I thought if I could lose weight, then I would be more successful at this business because that was the lie I had been sold. And so because I was starting to really look at the science behind emotional eating, I came across a book called the health health at every size by Dr. Lindo Bacon. This was such a key thing for me to read. Um, And if you haven't read it, like it is amazing because it's the first time that I, it's it's scientific, it's research-based, it's evidence-based. There's a lot of citations in it, but it's also very easy to read and approachable um, and really takes you through what health 
is about because most of us have been conditioned to believe that health equals thinness. And that was such a key thing for me to understand because up to this point, I too had believed that if I wasn't a certain size, that I couldn't be healthy because we see that everywhere in our society. And so in order for me to be successful at sales, I thought that I needed to lose weight. And so reading this book and coming to understand that nourishing your body, moving your body, getting good sleep, drinking water, all of these things that are really health behaviors don't have to have anything to do with the scale, (laughs) you know, and, and it was like a light bulb went off. I had never really heard that before. Yes. Yes. 100%. Uh, so many times growing up, I've heard that like, Oh, it's your weight. You need to lose weight. Um, and I've heard it from so many friends and so many women. It's always like, doctors won't talk to me or listen to me because they're like, Oh, y'all, you got to do is lose weight. That'll clear itself up. And it's like, no, absolutely not about that. Yeah. It's nothing to do with my weight. And one of my best friends just recently got diagnosed with something. And the doctor was like, this has nothing to do with your weight and has nothing to do with what you eat at all. Yeah. And it was like one of the first times that they had ever heard that from the doctor. And it was like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Weight stigma is huge. There's a lot of research on weight stigma in the medical field in a lot of areas in society, but the medical field, especially it is, um, it's actually number four in the ranking of discrimination. So it's in fourth place after like race and age. Um, and I, I want to say gender, but I can't remember what that third one is, but it comes in sexual orientation. Yeah. Yes. Sexual orientation. Sorry. Um, but number four, it's number. And that blew my mind reading that. Like it is the fourth thing that you can be discriminated for, which is a really big deal when you're trying to go to a doctor for any kind of medical care. And the first thing that they're going to say, even if, I mean, there's, there's a running joke and it's not a joke. Um, but kind of like in this space, if you don't laugh, you're going to cry and never stop. Um, you could go in for a broken arm and they're going to be like, oh yeah, you should lose weight to fix that. And it's like, I came in for a broken arm has nothing to do with the size of my body. So, you know, this is in a lot of places and we've linked this mentality that health has to equal thinness. And if we can only achieve this ideal weight, then all of these other things in my life will happen right? Like I'll get the job, I'll get the promotion, I'll get the love of my life. I'll be successful at this thing. Um, And we've placed all of these stories and attachment to it. So reading this book really opened my eyes to going, oh, well, if those, if what is taking care of my body actually look like if it's not attached to the scale, like, what does that mean? And asking myself that question and like understanding if I've been conditioned to believe that this is true, that health equals thinness. And if it's not accurate, then like, what else am I not, what else have I been conditioned to believe that's not true? And like that book started really exploring this anti-diet, non-diet, intuitive eating, health at every size space. And the more that I was diving into that space, 
and diet culture and anti-fat bias or fat phobia, depending on what term you may have heard, the more I was understanding how much society has created these unrealistic standards around beauty and bodies, the disconnect that we have with diet culture and diet culture, diet culture is a tricky bitch. (laughs) Um, And the reason culture, (laughs) yeah, yeah, because we have been conditioned for so long to believe it's the way to health and diets. So you talk a lot about numbers in the anti MLM space, right? And like, you could go to a casino and win big before you're the top percent of an MLM company, right? Mm -hmm. So diets are kind of similar in the sense of like 95%. It doesn't matter what diet it is. It doesn't matter if it's just counting calories. It doesn't matter if it's just restricting in some way, whatever the program is, a lifestyle change. If you're restricting your intake in some capacity, that is a type of diet. And 95% of diets result, there's evidence on this. I mean, there's a heap of evidence on this, but 95% are going to result in regaining the weight within like two years. And 66% of those dieters are not just going to regain the weight. They're going to regain more than their original number. Oh, wow. It's a, it's, it's a really, it doesn't matter which one it is. The success rate is so minuscule that essentially what you're doing is yo-yo dieting. And there's a ton of evidence that shows that yo-yo dieting is really going to impact areas of your health. And yet what do doctors tell you to do a lot of the time when you go see them for checkups, you should go on a diet, you should lose weight. Like, so the more I was learning about this and learning how diet culture, the cult of diet culture, if you will, um, how pervasive it is and how we, how predatory it is. And the more that I was waking up to that, I was looking over at the MLM side and going, wait, they do a lot of the same stuff. And the more that I was seeing what was happening in the anti-diet space, as I was waking up to health at every size and intuitive eating and like really diving into that, I was seeing on the, on the MLM side, you know, how toxic positivity was interacting with like your ability to believe things and like question, like the, the fact that they don't want you questioning, they don't want you critically thinking, they don't want you to explore and like, it's very black and white thinking it's, there's so many parts of the MLM space and how they dupe you that diet culture uses. And so it was like waking up to diet culture woke me up to, oh my God, I'm in an MLM. That's a scam in the same way the diets are. (laughs) And yet (laughs) like society is like, Hey, it's okay. It's cool. Like we're so accepting of both of those things at this point that unless you're doing the work and you're doing the questioning, you're doing the critical thinking and you're doing the reading and exploring and having people be like, are you sure that's what you think it is? It's easy to be like, oh yeah, like I'm just gonna do this and do that. And like, that's what everybody does. And like, like the same thing with diets of the diet doesn't, it's not you feeling the diet. Like 
every diet you've ever done, I don't know about you, but most of the people that I've worked with and myself, it was like, well, gosh, I must not have been doing this right. Or I didn't have enough discipline or I didn't have enough willpower or I wasn't doing it perfectly. I wasn't doing it exactly like the program said. I kind of fudged this a little, or I had a cheat day, right? All this language we use, by the way. And it was this idea that like, well, I must have failed the diet and that's why it didn't work. And after you've done 20 of them, like I'm a researcher and I cannot believe I didn't put together the data to go, there's been like 20 of these now. And maybe it's not me. Like maybe I'm not the common denominator or the only common denominator. And maybe it's the diets, you know? And the same thing happens with MLMs. Like there's all these different companies that we think are different. And the reality is it's not you failing the MLM. The MLM is meant for you to fail. Like it's designed that way. And diet culture does the same thing. So as I was waking up to one, I was really waking up to the other. And like, I wouldn't have woken up to diet culture if I hadn't been in the MLM, but then, you know, the MLM led me to health at every size and intuitive eating and the anti-diet space. But as I was waking up over here, I was really going like, oh shit, like I gotta get out of this MLM. It's the same cult. Like they're, they're, they're doing different things, but they're both out to keep me in as long as possible to make the most amount of money. And diets are doing the exact same damn thing as an MLM in that regard. Dieting is like a $72 billion industry. That statistic, like that number that is a lot wild. No wonder they want to keep people feeling like thin is in and skinny is, you know, there's nothing tastes as good as skinny feels and all that. I just threw up in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I can give you a whole list of things that taste better than being skinny. I promise. Tacos. So many tacos is definitely on that list. (laughs) Yeah. Like ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the, so a lot of the work that I do, because I'm in this anti-diet space now is unlearning diet culture and unlearning anti-fat bias, because that's really the root of what diet culture is about. Like you can't just stop at diet culture because essentially what this is coming down to is this fear of, it's not that people are afraid of being fat. And that's what, that's an issue with using the term fat phobia, but we've been taught to believe that we'd rather be sick and lose weight than to, to be healthy and fat. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've had, I've had clients who have been ill and lost weight because of illness. And when people are like, Oh my gosh, you've lost weight. Like, what have you done? And they're like, well, I had cancer. Oh girl, I wish I had that and lose 10 pounds. Like, why do we think that's okay to say I'd rather have cancer to lose 10 pounds? Like what? You know, it's so wild because I've experienced it my whole life, you know, like just hearing toxic things because it's regurgitated in the media or that's what, you know, the people that raise you think and they want you to feel this way. And I've had to unpack my own like body issues. And it's been, it's been like the past couple of years. It wasn't until like 
leaving and starting my divorce and like going out on my own and like sort of being in control of when and what I eat as opposed to like a family meal. And it has nothing to do with being married, but like when I was married, it was very much like we eat dinner as a family and this is the meal and there's a salad and there's bread and there's this. And then sometimes there's dessert and it's like sort of expected, which was the way that I grew up too. Everyone sat down and we had this big, huge meal and everyone was sort of expected to clean their plate. And I'm just like, I can't eat this much food, but it's like, (laughs) oh, how dare you be wasteful? My parents grew up in the depression. They would never allow this. And I'm just like, oh my God. Okay. I'll I'll just eat it. I'll eat it. I'll eat it. And so like finally being in charge of my own food intake now and Mm -hmm. learning about intuitive eating, that's literally all I changed was like, you know what? I'm not really hungry. I'm not going to eat. Or you know what? I am hungry and I am going to eat. And I've lost probably 30 pounds in the last two years. And it was not on on purpose at all. It just happened because I started listening to myself as opposed to every other voice that was telling me, whether it's the media or the influence of your friends, your family or whatever. But I stopped listening to those people. And I started listening to people who are like, just eat when you're hungry. It's really not that hard. And I was like, you know what? (laughs) It's not that hard. What am I doing? And it's literally been the only thing in my life that's actually just quote unquote work. Not that I'm dieting or trying to, but just like, I finally feel really confident in my body and I'm okay with it. And it's like, I'm like, okay, why did it take me 40 years to do this? (laughs) Because there's a lot of unlearning to do. And I mean, I also want to make sure that people understand that's not everyone, like the intention of how you're caring for your body, like when you are separating it from the scale, there are some people it goes up and there's some people it goes down and there's some people it stays the same. And all of that is fine. It's not about the scale and what the scale is going to do. Like when you're separating that out from how you are nourishing yourself, how you are caring for your body, how you're moving for your body, it's like it is revolutionary because we've been so trained that working out is attached to looking a certain way or weighing a certain amount. We've tied a narrative to health behaviors because it's about a look or a number on the scale. And when you remove that from the equation and you go, I could run 10 miles and be 300 pounds And that's fine or not, (laughs) you know, like you don't owe anyone your health. That's the other thing. Like that's the one thing with health at every size. I think that's really important to always add as caveat because there are a lot of things. And I think that we are living in a day and age in which we can all acknowledge stuff happens that are out of your control for your health that you really can't say like, yeah, I have control over my health. Like we're living in a time that there's a lot of people's health at risk that's out of their control. Like there's nothing you could have done to prevent what's going on right now. Right. And so like, you don't owe anyone your health and your health is not a guarantee. And so the only thing that you can really do is to really ask yourself, like, how can I care for myself? And that's not just physically, like it has to be mentally. It has to be emotionally. It has to be all of those pieces together. And if you're Going for a certain number on a scale, the cost of your mental and emotional well-being, is that really healthy? Yeah. You know, that is one thing that I don't own, a scale. Because um, 
it was always uh, a, a very um, anxious thing for me. Yeah. Um, it still is like one of my most cringiest moments. Like anytime I go to the doctor and like hop on the scale, I'm like, uh. um, I don't, I don't know how much I weigh and, and I'm happy. And you know that you friend. can refuse consent for that, right? Really? Yeah. What? I didn't even know. Anytime yeah. that you go to a doctor's office, um, they have to ask for consent to do anything, to examine you, to take your blood pressure, to weigh you. Um, so, and the reason that I advocate to not get weighed at the doctor's office um, is a couple of reasons. One, if you take a weight neutral approach to your well-being, then it helps those conversations to focus where they really need to be, which is I came in because I'm having this issue, reaction, broken bone, nasal, whatever. And it can help to put you on, um, when you're taking a weight neutral approach with your doctor, then you can have conversations away from a number and more toward, okay, let's talk about what treatment might look like. Let's talk about what tests need to happen. Let's talk about what behaviors may or may not be contributing to things right? The other thing is, is that no matter what you weigh, so no matter where you fit on that spectrum, even if it doesn't bother you, even if you don't care if you know your number and it's not triggering for you, there's a lot of people in our country that struggle with eating disorders and disordered eating and you helping to normalize that for someone else that is also attending to that doctor's office is a huge way to be an ally for people who have eating disorders or disordered eating. And there's a lot more than you think. And so helping to make that more mainstream is really valuable. Um, if that's something that you're like really afraid of, or like, I don't know how to have that conversation. It's, it can be as simple as, oh, I do not give my consent to get weighed today. And that's it. <laughs> and that should be the end of the conversation. If they go, uh, why? Or what are you talking about and challenge you on that? You can just, you know, come back with, well, I take a weight neutral approach to my wellness. And if we need that number for medication at a later time, we can talk about it then. And that should be the end of the conversation. But if you have a doctor that is pushing you super hard on that, that is going to be a really big red flag about how they're going to interact with you for other things in your care. And that's something you might want to consider. The other trick that I kind of give some of my clients is when you're going to make the appointment, tell them to make a note in your chart that you do not consent to be weighed. And please don't have them ask you when you come to your appointment. A lot of people prefacing it is actually really helpful because it takes the pressure off in the moment, face to face, having to have a conversation. It's not perfect. Some people forget to check the chart. <laughs> but it can help ease some of that anxiety around it. But at the end of the day, you run the show. You run, you, you are paying for service with your physician. Now, obviously I'm talking about American healthcare right now, but you don't have to be weighed. They don't require that number for insurance. So if they tell you that, that's, that's likely incorrect. Although always check with your own insurance. But at this point, I have not heard of one insurance company that requires that for any reason. You may need that for medication. You may need that 
Um, if you're going to be put under for anesthesia, you know, all of those, like, obviously there are certain occasions on which you do need that information so that they can dose you accurately, but just a regular physical to have a conversation or a checkup, they don't need that information. Those are really good tips. And I, I hope there's some people out there that were like, oh my God, I didn't even know that because I'm one of those people. I had no idea that you could just say, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's incredible. It's so cool to me that you are like an anti-diet culture advocate. I think it is so great. I follow so many, like I was saying, intuitive eaters and anti-diet culture nutritionists and and fitness people on TikTok. It's so great. I'm going to try to have some of them on the show this year because I love that we open up this conversation about diet culture because MLMs really thrive in it. We did talk about it a little bit last year with a couple of our episodes, but MLMs really thrive in this toxic diet culture. And you're throwing me these statistics that are staggeringly similar in the success rates. And so, and, and even in the numbers and like the money. Um, And so it is really, really interesting to see that how it is correlated and to have that on our radar so that again, when we see it, we know it and we can be like, wait a second, this is toxic and we're not playing toxic anymore. Yeah. Well, and they, they really work well together, diet culture and MLMs because they do use some of the same predatory tactics and, and they both create language around it. We are seeing that as more and more of the language around um, intuitive eating and health at every size and body positivity are becoming mainstream, you're going to see both diet culture, diet companies, and MLMs use and co-opt that language because as it becomes more mainstream, they're going to shift their marketing And we're seeing it already. Noom is one of the worst, in my opinion, because they're super good at being sneaky because they peddle themselves as being about a psychological approach. And we're not a diet because more and more are realizing that we're, we're not wanting to diet. And so they're changing the language. Um, They're like, well, we're not, this isn't about losing weight. This is about being healthy. And now we're coding the behavior that's toxic in something that we all say that we want, which is like to be as healthy as we can. But again, like if you're aware of, you don't owe anyone your health. It's not a requirement for being a good person. It's not a requirement for being a person who deserves respect and value in this world. But like we make it all about, um, well, if you're not healthy, then you're doing it wrong. And like MLMs are also going to be riding that train because it comes down to marketing. Diet companies is an industry. MLMs are an industry and they're out to make as much money as they possibly can, which means that they're really good, really, really good at marketing. So the better they are at marketing, the more people they can dupe and the more money that they can make. And it's not your fault, but it does mean that you have to take an active role in like looking out for your own self and being aware of how companies are using that language. Like language matters I know you've done work on that in the show about how language matters. And as someone who used to be an English teacher who taught about language and the importance of words, it absolutely matters. And how things shift in their meaning uh, is important. Like body positivity today is not actually as it started. Body positivity today has become about personal body image 
And that's not what it was for. It was created as an active movement by a lot of fat black women. And I use fat as a neutral term. So it is a descriptor, the same as short, tall, brown hair, blue eyes, whatever. Okay. So I'm using it in that way, not as a derogatory term for anyone, but it was started as a movement to provide, like to work against weight stigma and to work towards accepting all bodies, not because your personal body image, but because they were fighting against systemic oppression. And I mean that according to size discrimination. So when we talk about, you know, going to the doctor and having them misdiagnose you because they're, they're not paying attention in the same way that they would to someone who's smaller, like that's an issue. That's what they're fighting against. But we've kind of shifted that movement into being about personal body image. Not that there's anything wrong with all of us working on personal body image. That's critical to our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with food and our wellness and our well-being. But the reality is, is that as things become more mainstream, people jump on bandwagons and change what things started as meant. And so a lot of times we have to be careful and aware so that we are really working towards not just our own individual well-being and awareness, but that we're not accidentally eradicating really important movements and that we're, you know, and I I say this because I don't want this to happen in the anti-MLM space. Like as this becomes more and more mainstream and I'm seeing it become a lot more mainstream, MLMs and groups are going to get real sneaky because that's what they're good at because they want to keep you in as long as possible. And so we have to do our part as people who are out of these systems to call more attention to how we're talking about them, the language that's being used, how people are are doing things around this. And that's both diet culture and anti-fat bias and anti-MLM. Like it's, it's everywhere. So like, that's why I kind of draw attention to that because if we're not careful about seeing how we're talking about it and the language is being used as things become more mainstream, it's going to, it's going to create that confusion and, and the sneakiness is, they're going to be very, very sneaky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're already like already, like what you're saying with Noom, it's this Orwellian doublespeak. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. It's not to lose weight. It's to be healthier. But I mean, in terms of getting you to join, it's the same thing. They're just calling it something different. They're just using different terms that are less maybe offensive or less loaded for some things, or maybe more loaded for certain people. We're not really looking for those people. We're looking for the anti-diet people. We want the anti-diet people to be on our diet. I mean, wellness program. (laughs) Yeah. Noom, Noom is definitely one that I have a lot of, um, loathing for, uh, not only because of the language that they use, but, um, the way they target people with ads. And if you, I mean, we've done some looking at how they are like what's popping up with Google ads. And like when you do searches on Google and they're targeting eating disorders, they're targeting 
people who are, are looking for intuitive eating and anti-diet because they've become more mainstream. And I get like being a savvy marketer, but when you're going after vulnerable, like people who have eating disorders, like that is some shady shit. And that is so unacceptable. Um, and changing how we allow companies like that to operate, like that should not be allowed. Like we should be protecting people who have disorders. That's, that's unacceptable. And yet right now it's still legal. So, you know, some of this stuff with companies like Noom, um, you know, we're fighting for, for very similar things. Like we want companies to be practicing above board. The same as, you know, the anti-MLM space is fighting for the same thing on that. Um, And then there's MLMs that are a part of diet culture, like Optavia, which I did at one point, I will say, did not know it was an MLM at the time. But I can um, echo the episode that was already done on Optavia uh, to say that it was one of the most restrictive diets that I have done. Um, They're fuelings. (laughs) And and it 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 is not tasty either. It is. Well, I couldn't imagine it would be. <laughs> yeah. I will never forget um, one of the people who, it wasn't the person that I worked with when I was doing Optavia, but it was like her upline, which I didn't know at the time because I didn't know it was an MLM, but I learned later. And um, I was on my Facebook account. I had done something, you know, to my, I didn't realize she was still like on my friends list until this moment. Uh, and this, I'd been out of an MLM, you know, all of that. <laughs> but I had asked like, Hey, like we're interested, like I'm tired of cooking. I'm tired of figuring out what's for dinner. Like, does anyone have a good like delivery service they use? Right. And like, so people are, you know, talking about like blue apron and fresh choice and whatever. And she's like, Oh, Optavia, like we give you blah, 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 blah. And I mean, she knew that I had done this a while ago <laughs> responded like thank you but I'm looking for real food (laughs) so just going like this is you are trying to peddle this as though this is a food service like no it is not no thank you ma'am that is inaccurate and then I unfriended her (laughs) it's incredible that you're like looking for food service suggestions and she's like try my cardboard (laughs) yeah yeah save uh, the money and just eat out of the recycling bin you guys Oh my gosh. It might, it might be easier. It's, it's probably better for the environment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, This chat has been incredible. I am so excited. Like I said, to dive into diet culture more this year. Um, Please for everybody that's listening, Um, let us know where we could follow you on social media so that we can learn even more about this toxic diet culture you talk about. Yeah. uh, I am on primarily Instagram at anti-diet fatty. Um, I am primarily looking at unlearning diet culture and fat phobia and also using science to help shed shame around eating and body image. Because so often we think that you know, all of these things are within our control, you know, just eat less and move more. And that'll like solve all your health problems and solve your like weight range. And there are 108 variables, 108 variables that determine your weight range, 108. 
And most of those are not within your control. And so, so often, like when we hear this, it drives me crazy because it's so much more nuanced than we're led to believe. Like in our desire to simplify for understanding, we've led everyone to believe that it's simple and it's not. And so if you struggle with body image, if you're struggling to repair your relationship with food, you have jumped onto the anti-diet wagon. Um, and this is something you want to learn more about. Like my account is all about compassion, um, the science and evidence behind this work and really unlearning the way that we've been conditioned to believe because the beauty and body standards that society tells us that we should be doing, um, especially as women, especially as women is complete bullshit. The objectification that women have to undergo um, really pisses me off. (laughs) So there's a lot that we do around challenging that and having you decide what you want to do about your own body and how you look and how your body feels um, and what works for you. Because at the end of the day, you know, acceptance comes from within acceptance um, is not something that you can find in a body or beauty standard. And so that's a lot of the work that we do in this space and just calling attention to the, the way that the system is operating for all of us in, uh, the, the, the body, um, the beauty industry and diet culture, um, because it really does come down to this root of an anti-fat bias, like wanting to look a certain way is really not at its core about health. And it has a lot more to do for most of us around weight. That's not everyone. And there's nothing wrong with losing weight or wanting to lose weight. But at the end of the day, you have to kind of ask yourself some of those questions, like where is this really coming from? So that's a lot of the work that we do on my account. You can also reach me at lauren at antidietfatty.com for email and reach out. (laughs) And I love um, your username. (laughs) It's funny and adorable. Well, I did. Thank you. I did rebrand recently. It used to be um, a lot more to do with emotional eating, but in kind of the evolution of where, you know, a lot of what we've talked about here and just realizing that the root of a lot of this has to do with the lies that we're kind of handed and conditioned to believe. And it's really not about like trying to tell anybody what they should do with their body or that weight loss is bad, but really just having you to make decisions around your body for yourself and not to please other people and not to just conform to what society has told us that we should be doing. Because I think as women, we're handed that pack of lies a lot in a lot of spaces. Um, If you've ever been told to smile more, if you've ever been told you would just look so good without makeup, um, or why do you wear so much makeup, or you should wear this kind of clothing, or you shouldn't wear this kind of clothing, like all of that bullshit comes from the same root. And there's just so much history that compounds upon that. Like, I mean, I could go on for a super long time, but I won't. So come to (laughs) uh, my Instagram account, learn some more about that. Uh, Feel free to reach out. I also have um, a really great um, freebie right now that you can find on the link um, that we can put in the show notes, but also is uh, in my, on my Instagram 
If you don't know how to respond to unsolicited body or food comments, which most of us have experienced at one time or another, like when someone goes, are you sure you want to eat that? You'd look really great if you did X. Yeah. It's hard to know in the moment what to say to some of that. Um, Not all of us have the courage to just say, fuck you. So uh, if you're not sure in those moments of discomfort, like how do I respond to this? in a compassionate and respectful way. Um, I have, uh, nine responses that you can use immediately to respond to these unsolicited comments. And you could really use that for kind of any unsolicited comment. Um, but especially for, for food and body comments. I love that. We will definitely put all of your links in the show notes so people can find you easily. Other than that, are you ready for some questions? I'm ready. All right, Lauren, here we go. What is one word that encompasses how you feel about MLM? Predatory. Bingo, bingo. One warning or a piece of advice to somebody who is on the fence about joining an MLM? Really look at the numbers. I wish that I had had someone tell me some of the numbers that you've shared on your podcast. Like, I think one of the ones that really hit home for me was understanding that... (laughs) If I recruit five people and they recruit five people and then they recruit five people that it only takes what, like, is it 15 or 16 rounds before you run out of people on the planet? (laughs) And like, when I heard that, I was just like, oh, no wonder it was so hard. You know, exponential math is, is the kicker there. Yeah. Like five plus five, isn't that bad. You're like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's exactly. it's so much more than that. Right. Because I think a lot of times we hear the like, you know, oh, it, it it's going to take so much for you to be in the top 1% or I think there's ways that we can kind of justify in our own mind because we all think that we're going to be the golden unicorn that like makes it. But when you hear that it only takes 15 or 16 rounds to run out of people on the planet, like that's it. That's a, that's a game changer in my opinion. So, you know, look, look at the information it's there for you, um, before you make that decision, because hopefully you'll see the numbers don't lie and you won't do it. (laughs) Absolutely. I completely agree with you. I wish I would have looked at the numbers too. Um, what is the worst MLM in your opinion? So, Um, I do, you're going to ask this question and I thought about it (laughs) and I know that Amway is like the grandfather. Um, and so it's pretty high up there, but for me, I'd have to say Optavia because it really does marry the predatory practices of an MLM with also giving people eating disorders or disordered eating. And like those two, like, you're not only ruining people financially, potentially, but you're also messing with their relationship with food and their body and their wellness, like both of those together, I just feel are so bad. Like it can really wreak havoc um, in so many areas of a person's life. And like MLMs wreak havoc enough on their own, but then adding in that other piece. Oh, so that's, that's the one I would say is like, if I could, if I could get that one out the door, I'd, I'd be happy or anyway. (laughs) What is the hardest lesson that you learned while you were in MLM? I think the hardest lesson is it doesn't matter how smart you are. 
you can still fall for manipulation tactics and predatory tactics. Um, I have a doctorate degree. Like I'm not dumb. I thought I did my homework in assessing whether this was going to be something like, okay, to join and do, and, you know, not lose money over. And I still got suckered. So when I, when there's this perception of like, oh, well, I mean, only stupid people fall for it or people who are like this or people who are like that. And we pigeonhole people. We really minimize how predatory and manipulative and culty these companies really are as an industry. Um, And when we recognize that anyone can fall for them, because as you pointed out, like a lot of it has to do with where we are at the time, the vulnerability and how they prey on people. Um, It's anyone can fall for that. And so that, that was a hard lesson because I like to think as most of us probably do uh, that we're, you know, doing our due diligence and like doing our homework and, you know, we're, 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 we're really not idiots (laughs) and we're not, but it's hard not to feel that way in the moment when you realize that you've been suckered, you know? And so that was just like, oh, damn, anybody can fall for this trap which is why I think the more awareness we can bring and the more that we can tell people and explain why it's so easy to fall for it. And that's one of the things I love about your podcast is that you really try to, to keep the shame out of it because the shame is not going to help anybody, you know, like that just keeps you stuck and it's not, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. It's not your fault. They're really, really, really good at marketing and lawmaking. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. The odds are stacked against us. (laughs) Yeah. And lastly, uh, a positive takeaway from your time in multi-level marketing. I think for me, I mean, I wouldn't be in this work in this anti-diet space. I I don't know that I would have started a business on my own. I mean, I wasn't looking to be an entrepreneur when I got into Lavelle, I kind of was like, oh, you know, a side hustle would be a good idea or whatever, right? Like make some, make some money. But I think that the skills I started to build um, around how to run a business and social media marketing and um, the more that I dove into intuitive eating and health at every size and um, the anti-fat bias, uh, weight stigma space, you know, this work is so important. And, um, I'm really passionate about, especially for plus size women, because I think that there's an added layer that we have to unpack to that because it's really tough when you tell someone it's hard enough to stop dieting and to take the risk of, well, I'm going to try this intuitive eating and I might go up a size. And that's like super scary for any of us because we've been trained to believe that um, your weight and how you look is so important, (laughs) but it's, it is another level when you have a lack of access to things because of your size, because you're being discriminated against um, in the, in the medical 
side of things, or you don't have as much access to clothing. You can't just walk into any store and buy whatever you want. Um, or you are experiencing this weight stigma in different places. Um, that lack of access is a very different thing to take the risk of stop dieting, practicing those intuitive eating health at every size principles. It is, it is a different ball of wax when you talk about going up a size might mean you have even less access to clothing. You have even more of a risk and medical care, um, and some of these other things. So, you know, I don't know that I would have gone down this path and found and kind of dove into all of these things. If I hadn't, um, if I hadn't started in this MLM, um, so I, I know that it's possible, but where I'm at and how passionate I am about how they intersect <laughs> and calling attention to, you know, diet culture and MLMs and how those are often working together. I don't think I would have had that understanding without that experience. So I'm, I'm grateful in my own way, <laughs> starting in an MLM brought me to the intuitive eating health at every size space. And that also woke me up to how predatory MLMs were and got out. So, <laughs> you know, that kind of was a, uh, an intertwined thing, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I was able to get out of the MLM and continue on, um, in the anti-diet space. I love it. I love your journey. It's incredible. It, it really is. And I am so excited to introduce you to a bunch of people that have maybe didn't even know you existed and want to learn more about this as well. It's uh, it's, it's just, I think it's a really important topic and it's something that's close to my heart. Um, as someone who has just dealt with this my entire life. And, um, I, I think ending the stigma and diet culture is something that we should be working on too. Yeah, absolutely. There's room for both. There's room absolutely. for both working against MLMs and diet culture. Yeah. Both that Venn diagram is, is, is a good one. We, we got a lot to do with the anti-diet culture. And I can't wait to see what happens in 2022. Thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on the show and sharing your story and sharing your expertise and educating us on a topic that we haven't been able to talk about yet. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you sharing your platform with so many of us um, and sharing our stories because I know that for me, as I was getting out of MLMs and you know, looking to educate myself more, you know, your podcast was really important because hearing so many different stories from so many different companies was like a light bulb going off. It's not just me. I'm not the only one that felt this way. I'm not the only one that got, you know, ostracized. I'm not the only one that struggled with the toxic positivity or the grind and hustle culture and, you know, feeling like I failed. Um, it was hard for me to leave because I was unsure if it meant that I was quitting, you know, and, and what did that mean? And did that mean that I failed at something and, you know, wrestling with all of those things alone with people who don't understand that is so hard. And so giving us this, this space and creating this community for us where we can explore those and listen to, to each other and, and, you know, really understand that we're not alone is so, so valuable. So thank you. And thank you for letting me be able to share just a little piece um, that hopefully can like pass it forward, um, you know, pay it forward. Cause it, I have found so much value here. So I hope 
that my story kind of just amplifies and, and adds to the mix because the more that we can get people out of MLMs and diet culture, just the better, the better everyone will be for it. I think. I absolutely agree. Beautifully said. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Thank you.